following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So we'll be actually taking a pause uh, from our Sermon on the Mount series, and we're actually going to look at, into the Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is actually the first book of the, uh, the Psalms are divided into four uh, books, and it's the first uh, Psalm of the fourth book, and it's the only Psalm that's attributed to Moses, okay? So we'll be, we'll be getting into that. So uh, let's read that now, Psalm 90, verses uh, 1, starting with verse 1. Okay, here we go. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or over or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it passed or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set your iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all your days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, yet are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you we want to ask from the bottom of our hearts for a wonderful time as we are under your word, under your instruction, and be with your people. Lord, as we take this time now, this time now, Lord, to come together to learn, to worship, to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, imagine... Imagine if there's a bank that credits you $86,400, okay? It carries over no balance from day to day, and every evening it deletes whatever part of the balance you failed to use during that day. So what would you do with a bank like this? Okay, so, well, it's obvious, right? It's obvious. You would draw out every cent, of course, right? Each, Each of us has such a bank. It's called time, time. Every, every morning it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night it writes off its loss. Whatever it is you failed to invest to good purpose, the remaining balance is not carried over. 
It allows no overdraft. Each day, it opens a new account for you. Each night, it, it burns the remains of the day. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There is no going back. There is no drawing against the tomorrow. You must live in the present on today's deposits and invest it to derive the most from it every day. Time. You know, when we compare ourselves to one another, our observations would lead us to certain conclusions, right? Some people have more money than others. Some have more talent, more patience. Maybe some people have more gadgets. But all of us, every single one of us, have the same exact amount of seconds given to us during the day, on a given day. It's the only resource given to us day after day in precise, equitable amounts. When it comes to time, it levels out the playing field. When it comes to time, we all have equal amounts of it. Now, as I reflected upon the recent years of my life and all that has happened, there are times when I felt like time has seemingly been nothing but a whizzing blur of event after event after event, right? Where it all becomes this blob of like not knowing where time went or how it was seen or how it was used, and, and listen, we can all feel, right, the influence of time, right? We can all feel the influence of it, okay? Much of our busy lives, we're constantly thinking about getting to certain places at the appropriate time, feeling the pressure of meeting deadlines, right, beating red lights so that we can make our next appointment, okay? So we, can, we, we know what this influence of time can feel like. And before you know it, the day is gone. It just seems to vanish, and the next day, life continues on at its frantic and furious pace, and the cycle goes on and on and on. See, we can feel the influence of time, but not many of us are aware about what we think about time itself, right? So, so let's take a short time together as we reflect on the Word of God, this is Psalm 90, and, and let's look into the influence, not only the influence of time on us, because we can feel that, but how are we to see time itself in a Scripture-centered way? How does the Bible direct us in thinking about time itself? Because far too often we don't think about what we think about time. Because time itself is not something we inherently grasp. Psalm 90 is a song whose theme tackles just that, time. And uh, may it give us insight, revelation, conviction of time itself. Okay, so let's start. Um, we're going to start with verse 1 and just go straight down. And we're going to exegete the whole uh, psalm. So here we go. Verse 1, he starts off by saying, Lord, right, Lord, the Lord Almighty, right, the supreme Lord of Lords, uh, he is absolutely the absolute one by which he is ground zero of all of existence, right? He stands alone. He's independent of all things, right? So verse 1 speaks about this absolute God as the dwelling place, right? For you have been a dwelling place in all generations, meaning for all generations, for those who are yours, you are home. Your home. Okay. In his absoluteness, the psalmist speaks of God's now relation to time in verse 2. Verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Meaning there's no beginning or end when it comes to God. God always has and always existed. Revelations 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was uh, who is and who has and who is to come, the Almighty. Right? I am who I am. He says this in Exodus 3.14. I am meaning 
the one who eternally exists. All this to say, all this to say from our own finite perspective, man, God is old. Right? He is so old. Do you remember uh, those, um, those old jokes you grew up with, right? You're so old that when you were in school, there was no history class. Okay, let's try another one. Uh, dude, you're so old, your last name is Osaurus. <laughs> one more, one more. Man, these are actually your mama jokes, but that's a little disrespectful. All right. You're so old, she remembers, uh, you, remember that 50, you remember when 50 Cent was just a penny. All right, anyway. All right. All right. Um, so, but what would you say about God, right? What are you going to joke about God? Dude, God's so old. It's the oldest being ever, right? No, no joke can ever capture the essence of the ancientness of God, but maybe a specific demographic of people can, right? It's a group of people that, ironically, we can easily overlook, right? Or take for granted, or even ignore. Uh, but they beautifully show this very characteristic of the Lord. I'm talking about our elderly, right? Those that have traveled the road of life for a good number of miles longer than most of us have. There are so many unique qualities of one who is ripe in their twilight years, which includes the amount of knowledge right, and stories and wisdom from their own life experience. My father-in-law, he actually turned 80 years old last year, and as a gift, we gave him something called StoryWorth. Have you guys heard of StoryWorth? Um, it kind of works like this. You register on their site, and there's a bunch of questions you choose from, and uh, they're very insightful and thoughtful questions uh, that you would never think of asking your loved ones or parents. And, um, and this allows a window as to what their past life was like. So, so questions like, did you ever have a favorite pet? Or what are some uh, fulfilled or unfulfilled or, uh, unfulfilled or broken dreams that you've had in, in, in your life, throughout your life? And one or two of the questions are emailed out once a week, and your loved one answers them. At the end of the process, I think after a year or so, um, all of their responses are collected in a hardcover book, right? And it becomes an amazing gift and even a family heirloom that gets passed down for generations. Okay? Now, he's still working on it, but from taking a peek into his answers, it has been a revelation, an account of his heartbreaks, his hardships, his joyful moments, his deepest longings, and, and his life lessons, they, they, have, they have been not only an amazing window into his life, but, man, what a rich resource that will be passed down to not only us, but our children and our children's children, right, for generations to come. Right? I couldn't think of a better way of fulfilling the fifth commandment of honoring your parents by the telling of his story that will be passed down from generation to generation. Storyworth has been a showcase of his life experiences, his vast knowledge, and wisdom. And his, le- and his legacy will carry on long after he comes to pass. Right? Now, such tre- rich treasures are found within our elderly. Right? But how much more knowledge, stories, and life experience from a, from a timeless God whose legacy is passed down from generation to generation from his own children? We can take comfort in a God like that. We can take assurance that we have the most knowledgeable, most wise God on our side and by our side. We have the Ancient of Days and he has us. And you know what? That's where we'll start. This is where we start. We start when we think about how to think 
and gain a proper perspective of time, we got to start with the timeless one. We first need to encounter the creator of time, the Lord over time, the timeless one, if we are to see time itself correctly. So that's the first one, our timeless God. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Verse 8, you have set your iniquities before you. Our sins, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under the wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. You know, this dreary language here, it's very appropriate, right? Now, some scholars argue that this is a song about the Israelites wandering the desert who witnessed the previous generation just fail, right? They failed in their mission to get to the promised land due to their disobedience. It was, it was their parents that had followed Moses out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and due to the rebellion, God swore that they would not enter the land. And it was fulfilled as their lives were ended before reaching the inheritance that the Lord had for them. These, these verses are the lyrics of a people that have a close acquaintance with the fragility and the finiteness of man. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Here's a simple truth, right? Based on these verses. We don't have forever on this earth. The days of our lives are limited. It, our time is short on this earth. According to these verses, and it's true, right? Most of us live to what? About 70, maybe 80. A few of us will maybe even make it to 90. A select very, very few will make it to even 100. Right? And that's a mere blip on the radar of all of time, right? A mere blip. And the psalmist speaks of the Lord's hand of wrath and discipline which can bring an end to life in an instant in this psalm. But, but, even, but even in the most favorable of circumstances and environments, even with the wisest of life choices, with all of the advancements in nutritional education, understanding of various diets and supplements, we won't live long, right? Our time is like a blink of an eye. My time, your time, it, it's short, right? How many of you have spent your birthdays going, man, how, how in the world did that many candles make it to my cake? Right? It's short. It's, it's quick. In, in light of a timeless God, our time is shorter than we think. We are a time-limited people. We are a time-limited people. Right? So, so with these lyrics of truths from this psalm, starting with a soulful proclamation of a timeless God, right, and then moves to the somber-filled tunes of a time-limited people, whose ends are closer than we realize. So, what, so then what does the psalmist ask our timeless God to do? Right? What does he ask of him? Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, one of the most memorable illustrations of this verse that I've ever witnessed that I've ever seen was from this pastor named, his name is Pastor Dave, and he's uh, the pastor of our sister church of Harvest Community Church. And um, he was actually speaking, uh, part of his sermon was speaking on this, on this verse about ending well. And he starts his explanation uh, about this important verse by, by sharing a large, by, by showing a large glass vase uh, representing the average lifespan, right? And it contained about a half full of beads, something like that, right, up on there. Uh, the number of bees represented in the jar equal to the number of days left 
he has before reaching 75. 75 is uh, the average lifespan of a human being. He makes it a common practice and ritual to take out one bead a day to give him a strong visual uh, of the time he has left in this life, right? giving a powerful illustration, reminder of the finiteness of his earthly life. If there's anything that is seemingly dreary and morbid, uh, if there's anything that is seemingly in this seemingly dreary and morbid illustration, if there's anything that, that this has taught him, is that not only the realization that uh, we, have, we don't have an infinite supply of days, but more importantly, he's reminded of what? The value. The value of each and every day. Verse 12 again, so teach us to number our days. The Bible tells us, yo, take stock, all right? That we don't have very many days in this life remaining. Psalm 90 says, says teach us because our tendency is not to number our days but what do we do what do we do we don't we're not very good at it okay we can find ourselves with the same mindset as those from the more youthful side of our generation from from our toddlers to teenagers and even to some young adults you know those uh, the demographic where the prefrontal cortex may not be all developed right um, it's joked that the last words of a teenager is uh, watch this they think they're invincible, infallible, right? They, could, they need a healthy dose of numbering their days. For instance, take my, uh, take my uh, young son, Joseph, okay? He, um, we were actually at an outdoor birthday party at a park, and the park had this huge hill for sledding. Right? He was just amazed. His eyes just looked up and was like, wow. So we're just like, hey, you want to go up that? Okay, so we start taking steps up there. And as we were making our way up and looking down, we were, he wanted to kind of walk down the hill. So I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's walk down. So he took my hand. We were walking down. And all of a sudden, this look in his eyes just, uh, just came about. And the look of like, I'm going to do this. And he just yanked his hand away, and he started running down the hill. Now, you can imagine, right, with these little legs trying to keep up with the hill. He just he took a little spill. I actually have a clip of that really quick. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was brutal. So, um, movie? Yes, Princess Bride. Awesome. Good job. Um, I joke, I, I, to give that credit to that, of that clip to Mike Ma, Mike Ma was like, did your son fall like they did in the Princess Bride? Like, as you wish, right? No, I was like, uh, so props to you, Mike Ma. Um, anyway, random. Um, what I'm trying to say is that we can be like our younger counterparts at times, right? Overlooking the fact that our days are numbered, okay? Verse, verse 90, uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 sings, teach us, right? Teach us because we're just not good at it. We're not good at numbering. What do we do? We take time for granted, right? We live in a world that distracts us uh, from this notion that life here will come to an end one day, right? We, we tend to waste time in our laziness, right? We, we can be lost in our time because of our busyness. We, we even abuse it by living wrongly, right? Num numbering our days is not something we're very good at. So the prayer request is, Lord, teach us then to number our days. Right? 
And God is so faithful in teaching us, right, to number our days, right? To realize the value of one year, ask the student who failed a grade. To realize the value of one month, ask the mother of a premature baby. To realize the value of one week, ask the editor of a weekly newspaper. To realize the value of one day, ask a daily wage laborer with kids to feed. To realize the value of one hour, ask two people in love who are waiting to meet. To realize the value of one minute, ask the person who missed the train. To realize the value of one second, ask the person who avoided an automobile accident. And and to realize the value of one millisecond, ask the one who lost out on a gold medal in the Olympics. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may grow in wisdom. And what is that heart of wisdom? That heart of wisdom, as the Bible tells us, that wisdom actually starts with a recognition and fear of the Lord. So it starts there, right? The timeless God. Thus, wisdom here is to see time the way the creator of time sees it, to be aware of it, to know that time is short and that it's precious. It's precious. Time is precious, right? It's precious. If you see time for what it is, extraordinary valuable, then you will see all of life and every moment it brings as precious as well. Wisdom is knowing time is precious and that changes everything in how you go about your life. This is the heart of wisdom that we gain by numbering our days. In seeing the timeless one, the creator and lord of our time, and our existence as time-limited beings, we are to recognize the currency of time as running out, that we may grow in this wisdom. So let me ask you, how do you currently see time? How have you been seeing time? What has been your posture towards the time given to you? Has it been precious, you consider it valuable, right? How has God taught you or is teaching you how precious the time he has created for you and giving you truly is? May we sing this prayer frequently, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, with that perspective of time, the psalmist ends his song with actually two last prayer requests. Two last prayer requests. How are we to use our time in the presence of a timeless God as time-limited beings? His song ends with these two prayer requests. And they're about, one, being present, and then, two, being purposeful. How do we spend our time? before a timeless God as time-limited people, to be present and to be purposeful. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. This prayer request is asking the Lord to show his people his love for them, right? That nothing else will do except for his presence and the daily joy that comes from encountering him. Unfortunately, much of the time given to us sees a lack in the fulfillment of that prayer request. Why is that? Well, well, let me show you something right here. This, right now, is my favorite toy, okay? Um, This is my electric bike. I love my electric bike. I take this baby on my commute from my home in Glenview to here, to work here at church in Wheeling, and people say, electric bikes, man, that's like cheating, Well, you know what? I don't like hills, okay? So when I'm riding with people and I see them struggle on a steep hill, right, I just say, you okay there? Yeah. Looks tough, 
Okay, well, see ya. Right? So, like, it's awesome, right? On my way to work at church, there are two bike trails, and, man, it's just like a straight shot right here from my home to church. And just speeding through the trails is exhilarating. I love it. It's, it's, it's such a quick pace. I mean, the wind just blowing in your face. like, oh, this is awesome. As great as it is, there's one thing missing, right? As exhilarating as it is, sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like, yeah, something is missing. Right? I'm zipping by so fast, my surroundings become a blur. Right? Become nothing but a peripheral blur. I miss the trees, the sounds of birds, the scattered flowers and shrubbery. And this speaks into the very problem we have. We zip by so fast in life, we miss everything that God may have for us because of our hurried lives. Alan Fadling, in An Unhurried Life, author of An Unhurried Life, says this, I feel hurried inside even when nothing urgently Actually, urgent is on my schedule. Hurry has become a habit. I find myself stuck in emergency mode even when nothing outward is pressuring me to pick up the pace. I feel an internal impulse to get to some ill-defined next thing that needs my attention. It's pathological. I need healing. I need grace. I need to learn from Jesus himself how to live in in his, at, at his unhurried pace. You know, to counteract and deal with this hurried life of, uh, this life of hurry, it was through a spiritual discipline that, that I learned from our journey groups here at this church. Uh, journey groups, uh, some of you have taken it. If you haven't heard of it, it's, it's we group up in, in, uh, in uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a class or a, a, a curriculum that you go through with uh, two other people. And as you group up, you, you get deeper into the spiritual disciplines. It's a great curriculum. It's a great program. Um, Steve, do you recommend it? Yeah. Yeah, he, he recommends it. He teaches it. Why not, right? And so it's, it's awesome. You, you get deeper into the spiritual disciplines. And actually, this spiritual discipline of counteracting hurriedness, it's called the spiritual of, of slow, slowing, right? The, the spiritual discipline of, of slowing, slowing down. The discipline of slowing, slowing down the pace of our frantic lives and learning how to be present in the moment in whatever we may be doing. This is important because one of the most devastating results of a hurried life is the inability to experience the love of God and the love of others, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When we feel hurried, we get all caught up with our anxieties and ourselves and our agenda. And, and, but love requires listening, Love requires listening and paying attention. It, love requires patience and quality time. You know, one night, uh, me and Grace had some friends, uh, had a friend over from out of town. And uh, we were having such a great time together. And, but it was my turn to um, put Hannah, our oldest, to bed. Okay. And I did it as fast as I could because I just wanted to get back to the good times we were having. All right, Hannah, let's go. All right, here we go. Okay, come on. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Okay, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. I, I, like I taught you. Okay, 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 good, good. Wash your face. Wash your face. No, 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 don't use that towel. Not, not that, that towel. That's dirty. All right, all right go change. Han- Hannah, why are you moving so slow? You know how to put on your pajamas. And I just continued. I just continued with this. this, this I berated her with directions and critiques, and she was becoming so exasperated. Right? All, all that was on my mind was, get this girl to bed. 
All of my comments and commands brought her to a point where she just plopped on the floor and she had this crestfallen face of discouragement. I snapped. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? When I, hey, when I come back in 30 seconds, you better have your PJs on. I stepped outside in frustration. And then it hit me. It hit me hard. The picture of her downcasted face, it caught my attention because I remembered that face, that feeling as a child when I was her age. I just stood in the hallway keeping still and realizing that what I was doing to her. I came in the room and she was still sitting on the floor, not moving. I looked at her and I said, Hannah, when daddy tells you a lot of directions and, and keeps telling you that you're not doing it right, does it make you feel stupid? With tears, she said, yeah. I replied, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Tana, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I made you feel stupid. I think I know how you feel, right? I grew up with my dad talking to me like that sometimes. Her eyes started to become bigger, and she, it increased, and she had increased attentiveness, and, and I continued. And I remember, Hannah, feeling sad and stupid too. And I don't want to do that to you, and I'll try my best to not make you feel stupid again. I'm sorry, Hannah, will you forgive me? And her countenance changed. She then hugged me and said, yes, I forgive you. And then I asked her to pray for me. <laughs> Can you pray for your sinful dad? And she gave one of her heartfelt prayers that just brought me to tears. She began, Lord, thank you so much for giving me a daddy that I love so much. And I thank you that you gave me a daddy that loves me so much. And then she continued, Daddy has had it rough this past year. <laughs> she then proceeded to talk about most of my hardships in the past year, right? Lord, he, he hurt his shoulder. He had a flat tire on his bike, and it just... And she, she continued to pray, be with him, Lord, that he may know how much you love him and how much you care for him. I was in utter tears as she prayed for me, feeling her love, right? Feeling, and, feeling seen and loved by God. And, and the love of God has for the both of us, finding, finding that deep emotional connection between a father and a daughter. Listen, in my hurriedness, not only blurred me from seeing my daughter, right? It hurt my daughter. It was only when I paused, became present, involved, attentive, which allowed the things that truly mattered in life to catch up. In our schedule, if our schedule stretches more than satisfies, if we need to stop and assess, we, we need to stop and assess, right? This, this week, schedule a block of time for margin. Think, time to think, to imagine, to connect, to find a time to be real with God. When was the last time you took a longer-than-needed shower? Right? Or not minding, but enjoying some slower traffic? Or taking some time and really seeing your loved ones? Create margin in your life, and you will see your loved ones. You will see him. Get off the electric bike of life once in a while. Still the blurry periphery and fully experience all that God has around you and for you. 
Slow down, be still, and allow his steadfast love for you to catch up. That you may rejoice and be glad all your days. What a way to fill your time, right? By slowing time itself. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be present. Second, be purposeful. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Key word from these verses, work. Work. The psalmist asked for the Lord to display his work to them and his power to his children. Something we pray so that we can find encouragement in this life. Lord, show us you. Show us your work. What are you doing in your kingdom? Lord, let us know that you're still here with us. May you ignite our faith and love and worship by evidence of your presence amongst us. That's what, that's what the prayer is about here. The song is about here. He then goes from the Lord's work to be shown to their own work. That his favor may be upon his children by establishing the work of their hands. To establish the work of their hands. And he repeats it again to make sure the Lord hears it. Establish the work of our hands. Right? Yes, establish the work of our hands. Meaning... Give purpose in all that we do. God, be involved. God, may our work endure and last forever. Lord, be present in all that we do because you are the purpose of all that we do and all we do in you lasts forever. Lord, may we have work that lasts for eternity. Listen, we're all, we're all building something, okay? We're all... We're all construction workers, right? We're, we're, all, we're either we're, we're building businesses, we're building our careers, we're, we're building families, we're building communities, relationships, we're, we're building our skills and our aptitude uh, towards certain things. My question to you is how are you building? How are you building? Not what you are building, but how are you building? Notice the psalmist doesn't sing, let your product be shown to your servants. Let and establish the final results of our hands. Right? Yes, establish the finished product of our hands. Right? That's not what's being prayed here. That's not what's being sung. I think when it comes to our purpose in life, our purpose in the time that we've been given, it's not about having the final result or product as the sole only view as much as the way to go about doing it. Right? It's not so much about the what, but the how. Not just, not just about the what, but the how. So now, not, not what, but how are you building? Right, listen, in our marriages, we can be so caught up in wanting our spouse to change already, right? Come on, if he or she would just get it together, right, and, and do that, just change, get, get emotionally healthy already so that our marriage would be just better. Right? Then we can have a good marriage, right, if you just fix yourself and just be that perfect spouse I thought you were. Right? But what if, what if marriage is about the process, in learning about each other, investing and getting to know one another, discovering one another, maturing with one another. That's what matters more than the end product, right? There's the value that that's the work of marriage. Remember, that's what you committed to towards one another, right? When you said, I do, you're part of each other's process or transformation. Okay. Parenting. It's not about what you want your child to be in the end, but it, goals are not bad, but it's not all about that. But rather, it's about the present-day investment of time and attention you're giving them now. That's, that's, what's, that's what they'll really value. Not your standards or rules. That might not last, but your presence in growing their sense of belonging and significance. 
right? Not the what, but the how. How? How about the downfall of well-known ministry leaders and their ministries? How many people have been victimized, harmed, abused, silenced, all because of power, goals, and reputation? We can be so caught up in what we are to make, our goals, the picture of what things are supposed to be, what we are to be, where we should be, but at what cost? What collateral damage has your goals cost? The how matters. The how matters. It's not about the final product or perfect sinfulness or sinlessness when you trust and become a follower of Jesus. And how, but, but how he's taken you there, transforming and refining you in your participation in this journey of life. And it's this idea of what you are building versus how you are building. It is what really matters to God, how you are building. What you believe is less important than how you believe it. Can I just say that again? What you believe is less important than how you are believing it. How do you believe the gospel? How do you believe the gospel? Not what do you believe about the gospel. How are you believing the gospel? So listen, the word gospel is used so much in everyday evangelical language that everything is labeled the gospel, right? Causing a rampant misuse of the word because the gospel is more than I'm forgiven. The gospel is more than just grace by faith. The, the gospel is, essentially, is not essentially a mission statement. It's not a creed. It's not a doctrine like justification, sanctification, or atonement. It's not a culture or a way to read the Bible. That's not the essence of the gospel. Historically and biblically, the word gospel is what? The proclamation, the good news that a new king has come. That a new king has come. The gospel is a proclamation that Jesus is king. Jesus is king and he reigns. He reigns over everything now. Thus, our work in the gospel is how we live in the presence of a reigning and eternal king. Dallas Willard, an American philosopher, a Christian philosopher, said this, the gospel is, late, the late Dallas Willard, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. In other words, the gospel is not about making it to heaven, but the process and journey in living in the now. That's the kind of work that the Lord is establishing, and that will last forever. A life surrendered to the majesty, rule, power, and love of Christ the King. Why is this is why the Sermon on the Mount sermon series that we're going through with Pastor Steve is so important. We need to not just listen to what the Sermon on the Mount says, but we need to be, we need to be. We need to be what we're called and created to be. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's more of a what, right? A description of the people of God versus a prescription, right? It's more of a description. Our faith does not rest on facts and knowledge. It rests on a knowing that makes its way to our hearts and out to our hands and feet. That's what it means to be purposeful. That's what it means to partake in in work that the Lord establishes, work that lasts for eternity. So how are you building? How are you building? Lord, establish the work of our hands because time is precious and this is what you've called us to do, to fulfill the time given to each and every one of us. Be purposeful. I'm going to wrap up our, uh, this message with a, a, um, a children's animated show. I don't know when the last time you've had a message end with a, with a children's uh, animated show, but this is my life, okay? So 
So here we go. It's, it's a show called Bluey. Bluey, and you might have heard of it. Uh, it's about it, or not. It's about a family of dogs. Right? Bandit is the father, Chili is the wife, and their two daughters, Bingo and Bluey. I thought Bluey was a boy. Bluey is a girl. It's a great show uh, that has great lessons, not only for children, but, but for parents, too, when it comes to uh, parenting and, and playing and just great lessons. There's just some episodes where I just felt so rebuked, okay, as a parent. So in this clip, in this clip, while Bandit and Bluey and Bingo are forced to wait in front of a, a restaurant for their to-go order, uh, Bluey and Bingo become restless, and they look to entertain themselves, and they're, they're kind of like pushing the limits of their dad, Bandit's uh, patience. And so let's take a look at this together. Uh, flowers may bloom again. Uh, what was it? Flowers may, <laughs> flowers may bloom again, but you may never be young again. Okay, I just, just ruined that. Um, through, a, through a fortune cookie's message, Bandit was reminded of the brevity of life and saw the preciousness of time, namely youth causing him to slow his agenda and be present with his children, experiencing and giving joy and love and allowing them to be who they are as kids. And he was purposeful, not with what, right? With the how. Not with the what, get the spring rolls home already, but with the how. Let's have some fun and enjoy my children along the way. May God give us reminders of the brevity of life, teaching us to count our days that we may lead changed lives as we slow ourselves from the hurried life, allowing the experience of his love to catch up to us and being purposeful in how we live in the short time given to us as his people. Let's pray. Just take a moment and come before the timeless God as his time-limited people and ask him a simple prayer, a simple lyric of a song. Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me the brevity of life and the preciousness of each and every single day. And in that preciousness, may I be present and may I be purposeful. So pray that prayer. <clears throat> 